This morning I want to, to talk to you about true worship. True worship of God. What does it mean to worship God in truth? What does it mean? Now, if we stepped outside and did a straw poll uh, of people, we are likely to get different answers to that question. If we just went outside, and I think if I also went around this room and I asked you what you thought true worship is, we may get different answers from everyone. Well, I certainly think if we were outside, uh, we might meet people who might say true worship of God is just praying regularly to God. If you pray regularly to God, to them that is true worship. Uh, Others might say true worship of God is regularly attending church or perhaps having reached that point in which you are baptized. I suspect though that the majority of them might actually say true worship of God, well, there is no such thing. I mean, they would say true worship is whatever suits you. Uh, They would say if you're sincere about what you do, whichever God you worship, however you do it, to them will be true worship. That is what our culture is thinking. That's what most people think. What about you uh, this morning? Uh, what is true worship of God to you? How would you summarize it if you were to summarize it in one sentence? Uh, you are here this morning to worship God, right? So why do you think God is accepting your worship right now? Why do you think when God hears that hymn that you just sang, he's not shutting his ears to your singing? He's actually accepting your singing. Why are you confident about that, that you are truly worshipping God? Well, we are currently in Mark. And last time you remember, Brother Nick helpfully read read for us from Mark 13 to 17. And you remember that last time we left Jesus eating and drinking with the West of Capernaum, sinners, drunkards. He's there, he's reaching out to them with saving love. And, and it seems while he's at Levi's house, the public have caught wind of it. <laughs> and he has left some of them scratching their heads. What is going on here? Uh, we like Jesus, but he's definitely not local. <laughs> he's not really behaving the way we expect. Uh, I imagine as I'm thinking about this text, uh, people chatting at the local uh, Capernaum supermarket. Uh, someone probably says, did you see how Jesus told that demon just to shut it? You know, great stuff. He told the demon to come out and the demon came out. But someone else whispers perhaps, says, personally, personally, I like Jesus. Uh, but my neighbor, <laughs> my neighbor says, why is Jesus always eating with traitors? Drunkards and prostitutes. What is that about? Another person perhaps there is chipping in and says, well, it just doesn't make sense at all. Uh, if Jesus is from God, it should be more somber, more uh, quiet like reformed, uh, very quiet. Uh, there should be a sense in which he's fasting all the time, like our Pharisees. His religion is too joyous. We must go have a chat with him about this. And soon we can imagine uh, the Capernaum leader shoppers, so to speak, uh, get together and they say, let's go and see Jesus. And off they go. Uh, they want to know why Tim Jesus is all feasting and no fasting. Look at verse 18. That's where we are in Matthew verse 18. Now John's disciples, that is the disciples of John the Baptist, and the Pharisees, the leading religious leaders, were fasting. 
And the people, this is, remember, this is the general public, and I'm sure this includes some of John's disciples, came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now, hopefully you know, all of you know what fasting is, right? It's there, you do it, you go fast diets now, and those sorts of things. So fasting, essentially, though, here is keeping away from food, and drink, or sometimes just food, uh, to show your devotion and worship of God. Uh, in Judaism, if you fast, you are really showing you are really into God. You know, God is your thing, and you fast to show Him that you are on the same page with Him. Now, what's happening here is that the disciples of John the Baptist, uh, John the Baptist is incarcerated at this point, that his disciples are fasting. Because John is an austere man. He's all about fasting. He, he wears desert gear. And his disciples are following the Lord to the letter. Tim Pharisee, so to speak. They're also into fasting. In fact, they're fasting. They're always trying to outdo God. Uh, in the Old Testament, God commands the people to fast once a year on the Day of Atonement. But Tim Pharisee likes to outdo God. They fast twice a week. On Mondays and Thursdays, just that, you know, they are, they are doing everything right. The problem is that Tim Jesus here over there with Jesus, Andrew, John, uh, Peter, they are not fasting. They are feasting. So the people look at these three groups and they are wondering to themselves, look, who is truly worshipping God here? What's going on? These guys should be on the same page. They should all be fasting. Who should we follow? So they go to Jesus to, with this question. Now, when, when you think about this question, some people, when they read this passage, they think the people somehow are asking this question in a bad way. They, they even suggest it's the Pharisees who put, put, put this question up to them. There's no evidence of that, that in the text. I, I think they're just general people who are looking at Jesus, who've been with him, and they have genuine questions. They just want to know, what is true worship of God? What is it? Is it the lifestyle of the Pharisees, or is it the lifestyle of Jesus? Now, I don't know how you answer that question. What is true worship of God, as I said in the beginning? I don't know how you answer that question. But in some sense, it doesn't matter how you answer it. I, your, question, your answer doesn't matter. At the fundamental level, what matters is what God says about it himself. What I say doesn't matter. What you say doesn't matter. It's what Jesus himself says about it. Because Jesus speaks for God. Jesus is God the Son. If you want to know what God is thinking, we've got to hear what Jesus is thinking. And so, this verse is very important because, you see, if your worship of God does not square up with what Jesus says in this passage, okay, then you are not truly worshiping God, regardless of where you're coming from or the situation you're in. That's quite important. And if your worship of God squares up with what Jesus says here, then you are worshiping God. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of other circumstances in your life, you are truly worshiping God. And you have a reason to rejoice at that, but also these verses tell you about how you can grow in worshiping God. So, as I've been thinking about this, this is one of the most fundamental passages, I think, in all of Mark. And Jesus answers this question, they're asking what true worship is, with three parables from verse 19. Look at that, from verse 19 to verse 
22, it gives us three parables. Now, this morning, I only want to look at the first parable in verse 19 to verse 20. Let's read it. And Jesus said to them, this is how Jesus answers. If I ask him a question, he gives them a parable in return, as he always does. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with, with them, they cannot fast. Verse 20, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in that day. Now that's a wonderful little parable. And we can summarize the, the truth of this parable. Of I tried to look for the name of this parable. and It doesn't have a common name. And the name of this parable, I, I would call it the bridegroom's guests. Uh, you might call it the wedding parable, but there's another parable of the wedding that might confuse you. I call this the bridegroom guest parable. And you could summarize the truth of this wonderful little parable in one sentence. And Jesus is saying this. He's saying, true worship of God is enjoying being with Jesus. True worship of God is enjoying being with Jesus. And that's the truth I just want to share with you today. I wanted to learn this truth. Uh, today, actually, it's interesting. You're going to write this down. Today, we only have one point. In fact, I've never done this before. This is the first time. We only have one point. And now, some of you think that would take 10 minutes. <laughs> Sadly, no, I'm afraid. But we have one point, and it is that. True worship of God is enjoying being with Jesus. And you're already thinking to yourself, Chola, where have you got this here? Where, where has this come from? Well, look with me again at verse 19. So in verse 18, they've asked him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Well, verse 19 says, and Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Uh, Jesus here is painting a picture of a wedding. Now, we've got a wedding coming up in the church, of course, I think, uh, in, uh, during the second week, first week of January, but I don't know when you last attended a wedding. I, I suspect it was in a chapel, followed by what? A wedding reception where you had a great meal, right? That's a format, right? You go to the word church, and there's a meal afterwards. Well, you need to get this, you need to have this clear in your head. In ancient Israel, the meal is not an addition at the end of the wedding ceremony. It is the wedding itself. And in fact, where I grew up in, in some cultures around the world, that's how it is. There is no prior religious service, sometimes in certain cultures, and in ancient Israel, the, wed- the meal itself is the wedding. And the way this happens, and actually I see some similarities from my, with my own cultures, I think about Jewish culture. The way it happens in Jewish culture this time is like this. The groom gets up from his house, okay? And then he goes to the bride's home, okay, on the day of the wedding. And he approaches the parents, and he says, look, I've come to, so to speak, pluck a beautiful rose from, the, the, from your garden, so to speak. He's asking for the hand in marriage of the bride. And of course, if, if it's all been arranged before and they're aware of it, they'll allow him to take the bride. Now, he would have come to the bride's house with a lot of, you know, drums beating and all the rest of it, and people dancing on the way to the bride's house. And while he's there, collects the bride, what he's doing now is to go back to his house. And while he's heading back now to his house, where the actual wedding is, again, there's a lot of joyful procession, because the groom and the bride are coming. And as he goes back to the house, the wedding guests are already there. They are waiting for him. So the wedding is actually takes place 
at the groom's house after he's corrected the bride. And we can picture there the groom and the bride as they are coming. And the wedding enters the final gear. And everybody starts celebrating and uh, the couple starts uh, enjoying this, 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 this occasion. There's a lot of eating. There's a lot of drinking there. But now imagine for a second as the groom and, the, and his bride are coming to his house. If all of a sudden the guests now say, look, actually, uh, thank you for inviting us. It's great to be here. Uh, but we are Tim Pharisee. Uh, we, we are fasting right now. I mean, we are with you on the wedding, but we are fasting. So, sorry, we, we can't eat. <laughs> we'll be with you, we, we celebrate with you, but we, we're not going to eat, we're not going to drink. Well, Jesus is saying that would be rude, wouldn't it? It would be foolish. No one does that. Uh, even for the Pharisees, we would imagine they would ensure the wedding was not on a Thursday or a Monday, right? No one does that. If at a wedding, you celebrate, you drink. That's how you, 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 you show you are celebrating with them the newlyweds. What Jesus is saying here that the kingdom of God is like a wedding. It's like a wedding. Because God has come to reign. He has come now to be among his people. And he has come to be among his people in Jesus. Jesus is saying, look, it is a time to celebrate now. <laughs> I'm here now. God has come. What would be bigger than that? This is not a time to be sad. It is a time to celebrate because I am the bridegroom and I am here. Now, imagine Jesus is telling this parable and these Jewish people are sitting there as he's telling them this parable. We can imagine the moment they hear that Jesus is calling himself the bridegroom, immediately they are thinking of the passages in the Old Testament. A passage like Hosea 2, uh, verse 19 to 20. Let me read this. You can look it up. Hosea 2, verse 19 to 20. God says this in Hosea, And I will bethrow you to me forever. And I will bethrow you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will bethrow you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. That's one passage. Or they may think of another passage, Isaiah 54, verse 5 to 6. This is very famous. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of us is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. And so as they think of these passages, they, they realize that Jesus is really saying he's God, isn't it? He? He's saying he is the bridegroom who has come to serve sinners, to call sinners to himself. Jesus is echoing the words in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, that the angels said about him. Do you remember those words? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call him his, man, his name Emmanuel. God with us. So the people have come to ask Jesus the question, what is true worship? And Jesus is saying, true worship is to have a relationship with me. You cannot worship God without a relationship with me. I am the bridegroom. But here is the big point he makes. He's saying more than that. He's saying, the proof, and this is vital, the proof that you truly worship God is that you enjoy my presence. The truth that you worship God is that you enjoy the presence of Jesus in your life. 
People are asking, why is Jesus not fasting? Jesus is saying, they cannot fast. I'm here now. And my presence ignites joy. It ignites celebration. It does that to those who are with me. Now he says this, when I am not around, physically, they will fast. Look at verse 20. The days will come, he says, he goes on the parable, when the bridegroom, that is Jesus, is taken away from them. And on that day, they will fast. They will fast in that day. What is just saying here? Well, in that verse, actually, we have the first prediction of Jesus. Death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven. It is telling us there will come a time when the physical presence of Jesus will be removed from the disciples. And this was fulfilled when Jesus died, rose from death, and then ascended physically to heaven. But this is the amazing thing, you see. From the, de- from the time of his entrance into heaven in ascension, until the time of the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, the disciple felt, felt the absence of Jesus. Because Jesus had risen in heaven, but he hadn't fully, the Holy Spirit hadn't been fully poured down in power. But from the day of, and during that period, we would have expected them to fast as they long. Indeed, the scripture tells us in Acts 1, they were praying, isn't it, for God to send out his Holy Spirit. But from the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God was poured out on the church, Jesus is now present in every single person who comes to him and surrenders to him. He is present in your life if you trust in Jesus with power. So to truly worship God, we must have the Holy Spirit in our hearts. He is the Spirit of Jesus. You read that in the Scriptures. Sometimes they refer, the Scriptures refer to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Jesus. It is reminding us that Jesus is present in us through His Spirit. And all who have Jesus enjoy being with Jesus. Yes, not physically. Jesus is not around physically, but we have Him in our hearts. And there's a sense of enjoyment of that relationship with Him. If you do not enjoy the presence of Jesus... You do not worship God at all. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, there are at least three possible reasons people worship God. Three. Okay? Some of you here worship God because you have no reason to worship at all. You worship because it's just culture. There are people in our fellowship that sometimes attend that, that, that worship God because it's just culture. That perhaps when they were growing up, they were taught to do it and they they see people doing it and they, the church is a club and you worship. Interesting enough, I was thinking about this. Children, of course, worship God like this, don't they? Children often see that their parents are doing and they imitate that. They haven't reached that position perhaps for themselves. Some kids are, do, of course, have that. But there's a sense in which sometimes children pray because it's just their parents praying. Or, or, or speak to God. Or express some form of worship to God because they're just following what people are, are, are doing around them. Some, so some people do it because they see people doing it. Other people do it because they need to. They have to do it. And they fear if they don't worship God, they'll go to hell forever. Right? And they have a religion of fear. And they have no warm feelings or love for God. And God is like an insurance. Right? There's no relationship to Jesus. There's no joy at being a follower of Jesus. They do it because if they don't do it, they're going to hell. And they know that. So they feel they must tick that box, following the rules. And I would say many, many people in our churches, even this one, 
worship God like that. Then there's the third group. Some people worship God because they enjoy being with God, being with Jesus. They have surrendered their life to Jesus. They, they hate doing sin, not simply because it sends people to hell, but because it offends the one they love. It is him they love, and it is him they focus on. And Jesus is saying this is true worship of God. It is enjoying being with Jesus for Jesus. Not merely for what Jesus gives us, but for him. Now, as I thought about this, I thought, this is difficult. Isn't it? It is not something we can do in our own power. You cannot make anyone else love God like that. You can't even make yourself love God like that. It is a miracle from God. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, a man has to be born again. God has to do it. God has to take a heart of stone and remove it and put in a new heart that enjoys being with Jesus. And the Bible tells us this happens at that moment when you recognize you're a sinner and you surrender your life to God. At that moment, God gives you a new heart to be with him. And from that moment in which you are born again, you start growing in loving what Jesus loves, hating what Jesus hates. You are growing in becoming more like Jesus. Sometimes you have low moments when you feel disappointed with God. Sometimes you may even temporarily run away from Jesus. There are peaks and there are troughs. But the general direction is always upwards. You are growing in enjoying being with Jesus, step by step. Sometimes the circumstances of life bring the fog of sadness that seems to hide the wonderful presence and face of Jesus. And you feel so overwhelmed. And yet, even in those circumstances, Jesus is never fully lost from you. The Spirit of God soothes your heart back into the embrace of Jesus. This, friends, is true worship. Being with Jesus and enjoying being with Jesus. Through peaks and troughs, but always growing in enjoying being with Jesus. Does this describe the Jesus you know? Does this describe your relationship with Jesus? This enjoying of being with Jesus. Not rule following, but wanting to love him. Longing to love him. Not coming to church because you must show up. But you want to be here. Not attending a prayer meeting because you must be there, but because you want to be with Christ. You want to pray with these people. You love these people. Did you, did you, do you have something of this experience of joy with Jesus? Through peaks and troughs, but a general direction of growing with Jesus. Well, if you do not recognize this, then you, you do not yet know Jesus. You have Christian religion in your life. But that heart change which only Jesus can bring about has not happened yet. And as I thought about this truth, I realized this is painful. This is sadly painful for many of us to admit. It is hard, isn't it? To admit after we spent so many years, perhaps, thinking we have Christ. And we recognize there's no real love there for him. You can't recognize this. It's painful to admit, and so often people just plod on 
Sunday after Sunday, deceiving themselves in religion. They are entering an eternity without God. There has never been any true change. And of course, as pastors and leaders, we, we are afraid sometimes, don't we, to tell people that. We are afraid because it's been so many years, or perhaps for whatever reason. But there's no fear in Jesus here. Did you notice? As he tells this parable, it's going to cost him what he's saying. Because you see, what's happening here is that it is painful for the Pharisees to hear this. I think it's painful even for John's disciple to hear this. But for the Pharisees, it's painful because, you see, Jesus is saying, look, you've got all this fantastic Judaism stuff. But what you need is me, not religion. It's painful. It is so painful to remember eventually they're going to put Jesus to death. They're going to put Jesus to death because he's claiming to be the word. But, but in God's mysterious wisdom, Jesus had always come to die for you and me. And he is the groom who dies for the wedding guests, as we see in verse 20. Let's read verse 20 again. Jesus said, I predicts his death. He says, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in that day. In a normal Jewish wedding at this time, the wedding guests, after they go to the house of the groom, when they are parting there, they are meant, like in all weddings, they are meant to leave the groom and bride to get on with their own happy marriage, isn't it? They've had a party. Okay, let's leave them now. Life continues. But at this wedding that Jesus is given here in verse 19, the wedding of Jesus, Jesus is the bridegroom who is taken away from his wedding guests. And actually, as you study the original word in the original Greek language, you realize that it conveys an idea of forceful removal. Already, as I said, Jesus is saying, I have come to lay down my life for sinners. I'll be killed for what I'm saying, so to speak. But I've come to die for sinners. That's why I'm here. And we know that Jesus does that exactly on the cross. Because there on the cross there, you see, Jesus pays the penalty for our sins. On the cross, he dies to be with you. And as you sit here this morning, you need the death of Jesus in your life. You need it. I mean, you might say, thank God for the Pharisees, so to speak. For putting our Lord to death. Because through his death, we are saved. You need the death of Jesus because you are a sinner facing an eternal death penalty from God. And only his life in exchange for yours will do. And right there on Golgotha, on that hill outside Jerusalem, Jesus died a violent death for you. To be with you. To enjoy being with Jesus. But for you to have Jesus in your life, for you to not rely on religion but have Jesus, you must do that painful thing which many people in our church failed to have struggled with. Admit that you do not currently belong to Jesus. Admit you are depending on religion. Admit that you truly need a new heart. And then with boldness, come to Jesus. Confess your sin to him. Ask him to wipe away the stains of sin by his blood. Let him give you a new heart. A heart that loves him. That's conversion. Nicodemus did it came to Jesus. And I'm sure the Lord gave him a new heart. Other Pharisees didn't and went on to kill the Lord. 
Don't make the same mistake. Don't kill the Lord. You can't. Do not go down the road of the Pharisees. Come to Jesus. Ask him to give you a new heart. If you don't recognize this joy of being with Jesus. Now, now, some of you have already done this. Some. And as you heard me talk about this, you immediately say, yeah, I see the peaks and troughs. Thank you for the peaks and troughs. I see them. But I can definitely see a deeper growing for Jesus. I see evidence in my life of enjoying being with Jesus with the peaks and troughs. And I thank God for it. And you should. You should praise God for that. Because remember, it is an act of God. The pastor can't do it for you. Only Jesus has done it. And yet, as you think about that, as you thank God for that, at the same time, if you are like me, sometimes you are also tempted to do things for Jesus. Because you must. There are moments in my life when I'm trying to be the second group I talked about, rather than recognizing I'm already in the third group. Often working with Jesus is exciting for me. <laughs> but sometimes it can feel like a difficult to-do list. Sometimes we get tired in our walk with Jesus. We, we know what it means to enjoy him. But sometimes we have moments when we get tired working with Jesus. The pressures of life get to us. The house must be cleaned. The baby needs diapers changed. The spouse wants more attention. People in our lives are unwell. They need our time. The boss is demanding more effort at work. Or the governance. The church has its own demands. More evangelism. More midweek attendance. More giving. We need more giving. The list goes on. And, and to be honest, doing church can be very tiring. I've found it tiring often as a pastor. And sometimes you can even make question your own commitment. You can question your own faith to God. Because you feel you are not doing enough for Jesus. You feel like that sometimes? Oh, I do. I do. And if you feel the same way, let this truth encourage you. It was so, I was so encouraged when I read this. Because in this passage, I see that true worship of Jesus, true worship of God, is enjoying being with Jesus. I focus, friends, not so much on the enjoying, but on the Jesus bit. It is enjoying being with Him, 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 Jesus, the person. And it means, this means that enjoying being with Jesus is by focusing on what Jesus has done for us, not on what we do for Jesus. And as I looked at this part and I realized this is the key to enjoying Jesus. It's about reminding myself what God has done for me in Jesus every day. Remind yourself, friends, of this truth. If you are in Christ, remind yourself of this. During those troughs moments, remind yourself. Remind yourself of this. You were once a wretched sinner, a spiritual prostitute, not even a wedding guest. You are like Goma, the prostitute who married the prophet Hosea. You were spiritually ragged, torn, sick, dirty, destitute, chained to an auction block in a filthy, sinful market. You were a repulsive shadow of what you were created to be, of what you were originally created to be. That is who you were. And yet through Jesus, God, your husband, has sought you, not simply to be one of the wedding guests, 
but to make you his radiant bride. God in his great act of mercy and love, oh friends, he has romanced you with his grace back to himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is now your bridegroom, your great lover in Christ. Keep reminding yourself of this. This is the sensation of good news of Jesus. Read it in the Bible every day. Pray back to God every day. Commit hearing it preached to you. Encourage it being preached to you. When you are out there, talk to others about it. When you speak to your children, remind them that this is the grace of God. Let every area of your life, let it sink in, family. Like a family embedded now. Jesus has done everything for you. There is nothing left for you to do. All that is left for you to do is enjoying knowing this truth that is already done for you. And if you can keep preaching that to you, to yourself, then you continue enjoying being with Jesus. If you already have received that new heart, because this is true worship, enjoying being with our amazing Jesus. Amen.